Well, good morning. Welcome to the Oasis. We hope your soul is refreshed this morning. First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, we are continuing our series in the letter of First Peter. Let's go back two weeks, just bring ourselves up to the present here of where we're going to be here in First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Two weeks ago, we saw that Peter said that God's people should have three priorities in our lives. We should have the Word of God, the worship of God, and the witness of God as priorities in our lives as the church. And then last week, we took off on that idea of the witness of God and saw that really Witnessing for God is simply allowing others to see God in our lives every day, in each and every situation, everywhere we go. Can others see God in us? And last week we talked about them being able to see his love in us and his patience in us and his peace in us and joy and all of these different aspects of God in us. Now today... We want to talk about making the most out of our life. And the reason why that even ties into our witness is because many times there are more eyeballs on us, and there's always eyeballs on us. We get that, right? There's always people watching us. There's always people observing us, whether we even realize it or not. But many times there are more eyeballs intentionally on us when things in our life are not going well instead of the opposite. Because we can even say to others many times, you know, God is great and my God is good and it's great to be a Christian and all of that. And for many people, and maybe even this was you at some point in your life, and maybe it still is, you're like, well, you Christians... You know, you can say how great and good and how real God is and what a difference he makes, but your life's good. I want to see the reality of God in your life when things aren't good. I want to know that your God is enough for you when things are really in the tank, not just when things are flying high in your life. Because if, if your God is only great and good and, and glorious and sufficient for you and enough for you when things are going good, but not when things are going bad, then what kind of God is that? And what kind of life do you really have? So that's one of the reasons why God even at times allows us to go through trials and suffering and pain. And that's exactly what the reader's of Peter's letter we're going through. They were a group of Christians in the first century who were going through tremendous persecution and trials and personal pain in their life, and yet Peter was trying to remind them, you can be a great light to those whose eyeballs are on you right now because you can show them that our God is not only big enough when things are good and big enough for the small things, but he's big enough for the greatest things in life, for the hardest times in life. In fact, there are no times that we will go through that God is not enough for us. Amen. 
Jesus even said to his followers in John 10.10, it's recorded there, I have come that they might have life and have it most abundantly. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just come to save us, to redeem us, to set us free from our sins and, and, and give us eternal life so that we could, the day we die, be on our way to heaven for all of eternity. He came to earth so that even while we were here in this broken world, filled with all kinds of suffering and trials and pain and all that, that we could still have abundant life, that we could truly live to the highest quality a human being could live on planet Earth in spite of our circumstances. Because as we're going to see this morning, the kind of life that Jesus wants his followers to have is a life that is not dependent upon whether we're going through certain circumstances or not. It's whether we are connected to Christ. Christ determines our life, not our circumstances. And too often, even as Christ followers, we either have gotten into a pattern or habit in our life, or we've never grown as a Christian to a point where circumstances do not control us, in a sense. And where our attitude and our outlook and our mindset and, and the way we live our lives is not predominantly tied to our circumstances rather than to Christ. Jesus wants to change that. And he wants to remind us of that today, even through the letter of 1 Peter in chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. You see, Peter here in chapter 3, verse 8, through the rest of the chapter, really, I think, sets forth some principles of how you and I make the most out of our life. In fact, even in verse 10, he says, he's quoting from the Psalms here, he says, hey, who wants to love life and see good days? Well, you would think every human being would want that, right? And, and I think in a sense, that's what we say. It's like, oh, I, I, I want to love life. I, I want to see good days. I, I want to enjoy life. I, you know, I, I want to embrace life then Peter's going to tell us how. And the first principle that Peter gives us is in verse 8, reflecting the heart of God towards others. That's how you and I make the most out of our life, by reflecting the heart of God towards others. Notice what he says. Finally, to sum all of this up, all of you, not just some of us, not just the spiritual leaders in the church, <laughs> All Christians, all who confess to be Christ followers, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, affectionate, compassionate, and humble. By the way, you'll notice something here that's very important as we start out by making the most out of life. Remember, he's writing to a group of Christians who are going through really intense hardships themselves. And what can happen in our lives as human beings and even as Christians is when you and I go through hard times, when we're going through a struggle or a fight or a challenge or a difficulty, it's, it's very easy for us to turn inward. And all we do is we start getting consumed with us and what's going on in our lives and we get pretty self-focused and, and can even become very self-centered at a time. And we forget 
to focus outward and remind ourselves because we, we start to think, you know, like, well, I'm, I'm going through this difficult situation and yet we miss it. Well, there's probably others right around us going through very similar situations and maybe some of them even worse than us. But we, we as human beings can tend to turn inward when we're going through hard times rather than outward. And what Peter is reminding us of, because he, he saw Jesus this way, is no matter what Jesus went through, Jesus' heart was always outwardly focused, not inwardly focused. Jesus was never, no matter what he went through, no matter how hard it was, even when he was hanging on the cross, he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His focus was not on himself, it was on others. And if you and I are going to make the most out of our life, we've got to learn to reflect the heart of God outwardly rather than always living our life inwardly focused. And, and Peter picks out five things. First, he says harmoni harmonious. It, it literally means to be of one mind, to move as one, to realize that all of us play a part in the body of Christ and a significant part, but just a part. And just like a symphony orchestra, we've got to learn that there's other instruments right beside of us. And instead of competing with each other, let's learn to work together and to complement each other rather than to, you know, start to play things that will cut into someone else. Learn to live your life in harmony with each other, to align ourselves with God and then to align ourselves with each other. Secondly, sympathetic. The Bible tells us as Christ followers to weep with those who are weeping, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, that even if one member suffers in the body, all of us are to come together and suffer with it. When one member is going through a good time, then all come together and celebrate. In other words, to be in with each other, Amen. to be empathetic towards each other, to be considerate, to realize there are others around us, if you will. And then affectionate. It's the Greek word, you know, phileo, Adelphia, where we get our city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, from. It means to love each other as brothers and sisters, to love each other as family, to, to have a special love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, to have a fondness and literally, yes, an affection for one another to realize we were all born from the same womb, if you will. And we're all going to spend eternity together, so let's start getting along with each other now. <laughs> Compassionate. Literally is, I've told you this before, it's literally a word that describes the bowels. Because you and I all know as human beings that when something affects us, it hits our gastrointestinal tract. That's our feeling. And you see, when you and I are compassionate, it means that we are affected by the things that affect others. That, that you know, we use even a term gut-wrenching, that, that it affects our gut 
when we hear and see others going through things that, that we're not this cold, indifferent, aloof person that moves through life and has all these other human beings around us and they're hurting and they're going through things, but it never bothers us. It, we just keep on plowing forward. That's not the heart of God. Because God, thank the Lord, hallelujah, looked down on us and our plight and in our hopelessness when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and he moved in our direction. And he sent his own son so that he could rescue us from that terrible eternity that we were going to have without Christ. He was compassionate, and he expects his children to be the same. And then, obviously, humble. Nothing destroys relationships like pride. And so he asks all of us to be, no one was more humble than the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, he laid aside, in a sense, the external glory that he had as the Son of God. He assumed humanity. He came to this earth. He humbled himself even to the point of obedience to carrying his cross and to hanging on a cross. That's humility. The Lord of glory left that and came to earth for us, humble. And he asks us to be humble as well. So the first principle of making the most out of our life is living with an outward focus rather than an inward focus and reflecting the heart of God towards others. Second, live above the way others treat us. Because notice, then he says, do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead bless others. Bless and do not curse. You see, again, it's really easy for us as human beings, even Christ followers, to sort of be pulled down to the level of those around us. That if they treat us like dirt, we're going to treat them like dirt too. That, that if they talk about us a certain way, then we're going we're gonna to go right down there with them. We're going to go right down into the mud, and we're going to start engaging with them the way they engage with us. And again, remember, too, in the backdrop of all of this, Peter has in mind, people need to see the reality of God in our lives at all times and the difference that God makes. What kind of difference does God make in our life if you and I end up treating people when they hurt us by hurting them? What, what difference did Christ make then in our life? Christ calls us to live to a higher standard than everybody else around us. And even though we live in a world where people are hurling insults at each other and, and, and evil out there, that he says, as one of my children, don't do that. You want to make the most out of your life? Don't treat others at the level that they treat you. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter chapter 3 and go back to the Gospel of Matthew and listen to the words out of Jesus' own mouth to his followers early on in his ministry in Matthew chapter 5. Beginning at verse 43, Matthew 5, 43. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Can I just stop there? <clears throat> love your enemy? Yeah. 
That's Jesus' stand. That's making the most out of life. Not hating those who hate us. Not being an enemy to those who are enemies to us, but loving them, praying for them, pitying them. Not cursing them. And then he says, and pray for those who persecute you. You know what I found in my life, even by experience, not only by the authority of the word of God, that it's hard to really stay in a bad place with somebody if you're busy praying for them all the time. Then he says, so that you will be like your father in heaven, verse 45. Whoa, that's what it's all about. Letting others see God in us. Since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if only you greet your brothers, what more do you do? Even the Gentiles do the same, don't they? So then be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Follow his example. Be different. Be distinct. Don't be like everyone else. And again, it's so easy when you and I are going through hardships ourselves to not only be so inwardly focused, but to be so short, if you will, with others. And, and allow, because our heart's not in a good place for the things that come out of our mouth to be so cutting and tearing and causing pain in those around us. And, and God is saying to us here, you want to make the most out of life? Don't only reflect the heart of God towards others, but treat others in a way better way than they're treating you. Live above the way others treat us. Which is why then if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he says, if you want to love life and see good days, then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from uttering deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. But there's a third thing Peter says to us here about making the most out of life. And that's back up in verse 9. Be a blessing because we are blessed. Notice what Peter says. Do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead bless others because you were called to inherit a blessing. In fact, up in verse 14, he says, even if you get to a place in your life like these folks were, where you happen to be suffering for doing what is right, you're blessed. Wait a minute. I'm suffering for doing what's right, and God says I'm blessed? We're going to define what it means to be blessed, because I think a lot of Christians have a a warped perspective of what blessed means. To them, blessed means I'm living a life where circumstantially there's no problems in my life, there's no trials, there's no pain, there's no suffering, everything's going good, right? That's, That's the blessed life. No. First of all, that's impossible here on this earth. Let's get that straight. But first of all, let's talk about blessing others. Again, 
what Peter is not saying is, if somebody's a bad person, that I'm not to go around saying, oh, they're such a great person. God doesn't want me to lie. And God doesn't want me to be insincere. And God doesn't want me to, to uh, use flattery, uh, you know, or something like that whenever it's not a- appropriate to, to speak a certain way. So blessing others doesn't mean, well, we go around saying nice things about everybody no matter whether they're nice or not. Again, blessing others is seeking to be a blessing to them regardless of whether they are a blessing to us or not. Offering our love and our prayers and our willingness to serve them in some way, it is praying for them. It is pitying them, really, because they're not in a good place if they're acting like that. There's something that's got around their heart and they're hurting, you see. But this idea of being able to live every day, even as a child of God, to bless others has to come from the foundation every day that I wake up every day and you wake up every day blessed. Blessed not because of our circumstances. Blessed because the word blessed means I'm blessed because I can enjoy a relationship with God. That's what being blessed is. I'm, you're related to God. We're God's children. And every day we wake up with that blessing that we know God, that we have God in our life, and that all that God has done for us and all that God is doing for us and all that God has promised to do for us is not going to change. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. And that you and I wake up every day abundantly blessed. But see, many times, especially when we're going through circumstantial hardship, we start to tie our blessing to our circumstances. And when our circumstances start to go south as Christians, we're like, well, I'm not blessed. God hasn't blessed me. If God would never do anything else for us but save our soul, You you and I would be able to spend all of eternity, every moment of eternity, just thanking God for saving our soul. That our names are written in heaven. That our sins, past, present, and future, have all been wiped clean and forgiven forever. That we stand in the righteousness provided by God. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's being blessed. And the fact that I can walk with God every day of my life. And that if God is for us, who can be against us? And that even when bad things happen, whether they be things that I caused myself and and inflicted pain in my own life or whether they were pain that others brought on me, I even have this reality, that God is so amazing that he can work all things together for good to those that love God. I'm blessed. 
And so it's out of the realization and the consciousness and the acknowledgement of being so blessed every day that I can live every day then trying to be and striving to be a blessing to others. That's making the most out of life. But he doesn't stop there. He does say in verse 10, you want to love life and see good days? then the next way you and I make the most out of life is to love the life we've been given. And this is so important in our day and age because life today amongst human beings has become throughout my even lifetime so devalued. People do not appreciate their own life that they've been given on this earth, nor do they value the life of others, which is why life is so easily taken either by ourselves or we take other people's lives because life no more has the value that it should have. And yet God says, you want to make the most out of life? Live every day realizing how precious a gift our life on this earth is. And think of your life. How many of you like orange juice? Well, I thought there'd be more than that. <laughs> think of life as an orange in this way. Every day, you want to squeeze every bit of juice out of that day. That, that's what loving life is. It is appreciating the 24 hours every day that we have and making the most of the opportunity of living every day. Because the psalmist says, make us aware of our mortality so that we can live most wisely. We only have so much time, so many days, so many months, so many years on this earth, and none of us knows exactly when this life on this earth is going to end. And for some, just like I've shared with you, my own mother this past year, she died very abruptly and went from living on earth to living in glory in a matter of seconds. It can be that quick. And so... If you and I want to love life and see good days, we've got to embrace life. We've got to value it. We've got to love the life we've been given and then get out there and live it. And I just want to encourage you, some of you, you've been, you've been holding back. You, you, keep, you keep waiting for this and that and all these things that, you know, if God has laid something on your heart, and I'm seeing God laid it on your heart, then do it. Don't wait. Don't put it off. If God is compelled, if God has so gripped your heart about something, do it. Because I've never met a person as a pastor, and obviously as a pastor, I'm with people a lot of times when they are dying. I have never met a person yet when they are dying saying to me something about the regret of, you know, doing this that I really wanted to do and now I wish I wouldn't have done it. No, no, it's the opposite. It's like, I wish I would have done that. <laughs> it's more about the things that they didn't do many times than it is the things that we did 
do. Love the life you've been given. Live every day to the fullest. Make the most out of every day. But then he goes on to say, but also live with an awareness, with the awareness and assistance of the Lord. Notice in verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord's face is against those who do evil. It will not go well for the wicked. Even if it seems that they're prospering for a time, it's only for a time, and their time then comes. But for the righteous, notice this. First of all, the Lord is always attentive to the righteous. Now, again, where you and I can get into a bad place is we, even as Christians, can think because of our circumstances, God doesn't care about me. God is not aware of what's going on in my life. God is detached. God is far away. But the truth and the reality of God's word is God is always very much concerned and aware of what's going on in our lives. And his eyes are always open to us. He always sees what we're going through. And he's always willing to give us his assistance and his support and his aid his grace. And then I love this. Not only that, it says, but his ears are always open to our prayers. <laughs> and that as God's people, we have a great privilege to be able to just talk to the Lord and communicate with him throughout our lifetime, to talk things out, to process things with God, to cry out to God, to ask, seek, and knock in prayer and know that God will never shut us down when we call out or cry out to him. That's why Jesus told his followers that men and women ought always to pray and not to faint, to give up, to lose heart, Luke 18, 1. Because so many of us get to a place in our life that is a marathon where we feel like quitting and throwing in the towel. And it may be because we forget of the attention of the Lord upon our lives and of his attentiveness, but also his openness and assistance that is always there through our prayer life. That's making the most out of life. Two more I'd like to share with you this morning. And these are really important. Verse 15, living with Christ as Lord. Living with Christ as Lord. I'm going to even actually pick it up in verse 13. For who is going to harm you if you are devoted to do what is good? Now, some of you are going, well, wait a minute. Peter's even readers could say, uh, we are trying to do good and we're being harmed. But the concept that Peter is using here is ultimate harm. You see, again, because we look at things very temporally and very physically and very in the moment, God always looks at things through an eternal lens and long term. And that's why he's saying, can they really harm you? Even if they kill you, even if you're a martyr? Because Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So can they really harm me? You see, if God is for me, can they really, anybody be against me? 
Can really ultimate harm come to me as a follower of Jesus Christ? No. No. Because the worst thing that anyone can do on this earth to me is to kill the physical body, and then I go to be with the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Who can really harm us? But if, in fact, you happen to suffer on earth for doing what is right, you are blessed because we know God and we have God in our life, and that doesn't change because of our circumstances or our suffering. He's always there. His awareness and his assistance is always there for us. I will never leave you nor forsake you, God says. And that's why Paul could write with such confidence, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, he says, do not be terrified of them or be shaken. In other words, don't live your life in fear. But set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. Stop there. To set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts is simply this. We may know him as our creator. We may know him as our savior. But do we live with him as our Lord? As our Lord. You see, and why he says set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts is because the heart is the place of worship. That's our worship organ. <laughs> That's where our passion and our priorities and, and all of those things come out of. That, it's our heart. Do you and I truly worship Christ and him alone from our heart? Do we live every day consecrating him and putting him up as high as we can, elevating him, putting him up on the highest pinnacle and pedestal of our life, and then coming and bowing before him as our Lord? Amen. As the one who leads us, not we lead ourselves. As the one that we follow, not ask him to follow us. That he decides, that he calls the shots, not us. That's living with Christ as Lord. And Peter's saying, I had to learn that the hard way. Because Peter said, even as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there were many days where I was following him physically, but I wasn't following him from my heart and truly consecrating him and setting him apart and prioritizing him and making him preeminent above everyone and everything else in my life. There were many days, Peter says, where I didn't do that. But when I found that that was the true way to experience abundant life, he said, that's where I set my life off to. Only you can answer this question today. Is Jesus Christ not only your creator and savior, but are you living with him right now as your Lord? Are you leading your life or are you letting him lead your life? Are you making the decisions or is he making the decisions? Is he deciding things for you or are you deciding those things? Peter says, you want to make the most out of your life? Set Christ apart as Lord. Because here's the deal. One day, the Bible tells us every knee is going to bow and every tongue's going to confess, whether it be in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, that Jesus Christ is what? He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we, 
We, we might not acknowledge Jesus as Lord now, but everyone will one day acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Amen. Whether willingly or unwillingly, but everyone will one day acknowledge Jesus as Lord. The way to make the most out of life is acknowledge his lordship now. And then finally, and this ties in with all the others, live with fearless confidence. Because he's already talked about don't be terrified of them, verse 14, or shaken. So many of us live in fear. Fear is no way to live life. Living in fear is not going to make the most out of life. Living with fearless confidence, however, is. And that's where the hope comes in. That's why he says then, when you and I set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts then hopefully, too, we will always be prepared or ready to give an answer, a well-defined and well-detailed, well-thought-out explanation for the hope that they see in our lives, especially at times when we shouldn't have any hope. Because, again, our hope isn't tied to our circumstances. Our hope is founded upon the character of God himself and his very trustworthy, reliable, and dependable word that we can bank on and count on every day of our lives. That's hope. It is the confident expectation of the things that God has promised to us that we know are sure and certain and are going to come to pass because God said they would and we trust and believe in him with all our heart. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is the ability to be able to look past our present trials and suffering and pain and circumstances and to look at what God has promised to us and keep our eyes focused there. Jesus was the same way. The writer of Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's hope. Even Jesus said, I know what's coming. The cross is coming, but I'm not going to allow the cross to fill my thinking. I'm going to allow the joy of being back with my Father and the Spirit and the angelic realm and being in glory again. I'm going to allow that hope to fill my vision. So I'll endure the cross because I know the joy is coming. That's hope. That's why the psalmist writes, weeping may endure for a night, but joy, what? It comes in the morning. That's hope. That things aren't always going to be this way, Peter's telling his readers, and you got glory coming, folks. A glory that will never fade away, that will last forever. You got that glory coming. So that's why Paul could write to the Romans, I reckon that the sufferings that we go through on this earth are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us one day. That's our hope. That's our hope. And when you and I live with that kind of fearless confidence that no matter what comes into our life, the best is yet to come, oh my, we will stick out, as they used to say, like a sore thumb. Because we live in a world of hopelessness. We are living in a world of despair where people have no idea what the future holds. And they're scared to death of it because they don't know the one who holds the future. Amen. But when you and I have hope in God, 
then we know not only the future that God has promised us that is so great and glorious and good, but we know the one who holds that future, and we know him every day, and we walk with him every day, which is why then Peter or Paul also told the Roman Christians, now may the God of hope fill you with all hope, with joy and peace as you believe in him through the power of the Holy Spirit, the God of hope, fill you with all hope, with also joy and peace as you believe in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life, not just heart beating, <laughs> Not just getting up every day and going to work and putting in my time, but realizing, oh my goodness, there's a whole level of living that I haven't even experienced yet that Jesus wants me to experience. Even in this broken, messed up world, how do I make the most out of life? Let me quickly review for all of us. Reflect the heart of God towards others. Two, live above the way others treat us. Three, be a blessing because we are blessed. Four, love the life we've been given. Five, live with the awareness and assistance of the Lord. Six, live with Christ as Lord. Seven, live with fearless confidence. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me at this moment? Here's a question I want to ask all of us today. Right now in your life, is your life and the way you are living life and the way life is going for you being more determined by your circumstances or by Christ? And if they're being determined by your circumstances, I'm just going to invite you today, begin today by setting Jesus Christ apart as Lord in your heart. Worship him like never before. Make him the priority of your life. As Jesus even told his followers, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. God, we confess so often, even as your followers, we're so concerned about all the other added things, but we're trying to add those things to our life without seeking first your kingdom. We, we get it backwards. So, God, I'm praying today for all of us that we won't seek after the things before we set Christ apart as Lord and seek first your kingdom. God, we are so blessed. And I pray today as we end this time here at the Oasis Church, on this Sunday, March 24, 2019, that we will rise up as one in just a moment and that we will sing out as blessed people, that we will sing out acknowledging and recognizing how blessed we are in you, God, and that we have so much to be thankful for. 
so much to look forward to. And that God, you are giving us, pouring into our laps this abundant life. All we have to do is grab a hold of it and appropriate it every day. God, maybe even right now, let's begin to appropriate it right here in this auditorium. May we sing out from our hearts as those who have experienced and are enjoying your abundant life. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.